0: Well, hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you, and later on for our inbox, we have a girl. Uh, She's experiencing a roller coaster of emotions over her ex-boyfriend. She thought God spoke to her to get back in that relationship after their first breakup. But now she's wondering, was that actually God? One of our counselors is going to provide some insight there. And then for our culture segment, Paul Angoni is here to discuss a new book that he's written on lies young people believe today. And so this is going to be right up your alley and you're going to want to listen in. Well, here we are for our roundtable. And uh, this is... Um, our, let's see, what are we on? Our third installment, I think, of our Respectable Sins uh, series, which was interesting to put together. And uh, as I said last time around, a nod to Jerry Bridges, who wrote the book Respectable Sins, and uh, just a a fabulous guy, fabulous author. He actually went to my church. Okay, I'm just saying. Um, But anyway, (laughs) um, we thought... Okay, Jerry can talk about respectable sins, but how many of us are living these, okay? So, you know, of course I'm not, but I thought I would bring other people in to talk about it. So we have got uh, Steve, Charles, and Diana here. Hey, guys. Hello. Hey, how you doing? How's it going? All right, good to have you here. Um, So I'm going to start out. I'm sure that all of you have probably either a pillow or something stitched with this verse uh, from Proverbs 14. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered, displays folly. So um, <laughs> life verse is there for all of us. Right. Um, for those of you who are listening in today, we're going to talk about impatience and irritability. We would like to think that they are just personality traits or they are just things that other people make us uh, do or make us behave as because or circumstances maybe. Um, but they are actually sinful behaviors. And there are a lot of scriptures uh, that back that up. But, you know, we like to kind of gloss over them and focus on all the, the big sins that, you know, most particularly we maybe don't struggle with. Um, and then maybe people won't talk to us about the ones we do struggle with. So um, let's kick this off uh, with the three of you commenting on this, because I want I, I want to kind of start off here. I think this is something that's going to be a great conversation for us all. Um, first of all, let's make this personal. We, we all need to talk about you're here for a reason. Thank you for being here. <laughs> what gets on your last nerve? What are your l- Let's talk triggers. What are your triggers here um, when it comes to getting irritated with people, circumstances, being impatient? What's the big deal?
1: Well, how many do you want up front? <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a laundry list. Uh, it happened to me this morning on the way to work. So we live in beautiful Colorado Springs and, you know, we got a a nice dose of snow within the past couple of days and... There was this uh, lady driving in front of me. She was driving literally seven miles per hour. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to get to work. And (laughs) the impatience, the frustration, the anger just started to bubble up. And I remembered that i had this on my calendar and i said okay well this is the time to practice some patience so i passed her by a couple of seconds later and i just gave her a bless your heart
0: as i I passed Um, by charles she was being safe and so now in addition to being irritable you're just an unsafe person so okay yeah there was two feet of snow on Uh the ground while they were right right. (laughs) all right who else
2: I mean, I can certainly identify with that. If you want to start, you know, the, the list would be very, very long. And as I've thought about this, I too found myself almost being more impatient and irritable. But I think for me, where I mourn it the most, because drivers all the time, it's easy for sure. And where I mourn it the most is those like my wife and my children who always those closest to us tend to see the worst of us. Mm -hmm. And I know as I was thinking about this is where I'm just like, Oh my gosh, like I really can be that bad.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely Um, relate to the, the driving as well. Um, And I think also for me, a big, a big trigger, if you will, um, are is politics on social media. Um, <laughs> and I would even go so far as to say, and, and I guess this is terrible, but, you know, we're practicing, you know, being open and honest. Um, Christians on social media um, are actually a really big trigger for my impatience and irritability. Um, oftentimes I'm, I'm very embarrassed for what is thrown out on the World Wide Web under the name of Christ.
2: Mm-hmm. 100%. I'm yeah. totally there.
3: <laughs> well,
0: it's funny. Funny you guys say this because I actually just had to do an exercise. I think this was last week. Because um, I, what's weird is personality-wise, I consider myself pretty chill. I'm kind of like I'm not the person that has to have an opinion on everything. I'm not the, you know, I'm just like, you know, that's cool, and I'm very flexible with plans usually and stuff. But it was really funny because I was super worked up about several people in my life, in particular. Who, if I'm being honest, were not doing what I needed them to do. Um, they weren't. Uh, they weren't acting the right way. Um, <laughs> they weren't thinking the right way, and I was super mad about it because for me it was almost like well, it was basically saying uh, there is a right way, and mm-hmm. so why aren't you doing that? um so anyway then it got into like some circumstances it was like a little snowball of like all these things that I started thinking of and I was actually out on a hike just by myself I went home and I started a list and in a very short amount of time this was not thinking hard about it I had written down 32 people and situations that I was trying to control that I had no control over and it was like freaking me out because I was like what am I going to do? Because these people, if these people just acted right, and if these people just did what I need them to do, this would be <laughs> so much better. And they weren't. And I'm like, and these people are just like blowing me off and all this kind of stuff. And so it's so funny coming into this roundtable because I was like, oh, my word, I'm like a massive controller. And um, I cloak it well with humor and with this like deferential behavior of like, it's cool, you know, whatever but it's not cool. I'm just like mad about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um okay, so let's talk about this. The where do you guys think? I mean, do you think how do you think where does this source out of for you? Because clearly there's got to be something that plays into it even though there is a a sin component there. Like what would you say is your struggle mostly with other people, with circumstances, with just a short fuse? Um why <laughs> why do you think this is so specific to you in this instance? Um, this is Steve. And for me,
2: I think I've just recognized I have an idol of comfort in my life. Mm. And when people or circumstances, it can be either one. Often it's, ah, gosh, it's often it's both. But if, if something disrupts my comfort and I'm sitting there on the couch and I'm, you know, scrolling through Facebook or watching something on Netflix and my kid's get in a scuffle and it's disrupting my comfort, my time, just the the impatience and anger can just flare up because you are interrupting my Mm -hmm. idol. And it's, it's my pride. It's, it's my sin. It's me thinking if you did things my way, Mm -hmm. because then I'd be more comfortable then I wouldn't have problems and everything would work fine. And it's ridiculous.
3: Hmm. I think, um, a lot of mine comes from um I uh, I don't I don't know if it would be personality type feeding into circumstances or what you might um translate that to but I'm I'm very much Um, about efficiency and getting things done in the way that I would consider to be excellent um, or efficient kind of Lisa like what you were saying about (laughs) hey there is a right way to do these things Um, and even not necessarily a right way as much as a best way um, or a path of least resistance and so those I think those triggers for me really come into play when it's um it's disrupting the efficiency. It's disrupting. It's taking the path of most resistance and then complaining about it of like, well, you made a dumb decision. So I have zero patience for what just happened here. Like, I don't I don't know why you want me to empathize with you. Um but I mean, obviously, um, like you were saying, Steve, it's it's a source of, ultimately, it's a source of pride and a source of, I think I know what is best, and therefore, because you're not fitting into these specific categories, I am impatient.
1: Diana, in that same way, so uh, another of my pet peeves is uh, ordering meals at a restaurant. <laughs> Listen, this is our favorite restaurant. the The menu has not changed in <laughs> several years, so let's, you know, mm-hmm. hop to it. But- um, you know, it really gets down to a heart issue for me, um, specifically, Steve, you mentioned your wife and kids, the people closest to us is, are, are, are the ones that we typically struggle with. Um, and I've noticed in myself when I do have irritation in dealing with my family and close friends, it's really internal with me. Um, and the Holy Spirit, you know, will oftentimes smack me right upside the head and say, you prayed for this woman. Mm. You mm-hmm. prayed for this child. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Just look at them. Look at the gift that I gave you. Now there are times where I'm still stubborn, where I'm still uh, my pride flares up, and I just don't recognize that moment or don't give in to that moment. Um, but it, it's it's a heart issue, mm-hmm. Lisa. Is is what's going on with me?
0: Yeah. I'm yeah. So what would you think, like, why are we so quick? And maybe just, you know, speak for yourself in your own circumstances here. Why do we try to sweep this under the rug? And how do you try to do that? So how are you trying to justify your behavior? How are you trying to make this not a sin issue, but just something that's like more of a justice issue, <laughs> or more of a, a correctness issue? Um, why do we get away with that? I kind of grew up this way. I think my family
2: of origin was that way. And so I'll just blame know. it on the parents. <laughs> okay. I mean, it it, it it is that, but it's not. I mean, it's a, it's totally blame shifting. But I know that growing up, my family was like that. My wife's family wasn't like that. You know, she doesn't deal in that same area. But we thought we were better than other people. We thought we knew more than other people, whether it be the driver or anyone else and so yeah I, I can easily dismiss it that way and and after all i think i know what's right for every situation right i mean i can dismiss it there too mm-hmm. which is just sin on top of, i mean this is awful <laughs> sorry compounded. i'm so bad <laughs> <laughs> compounded so no,
3: that's good um i think you know it's it's kind of funny that you mentioned your background steve i would say that The opposite is almost true for me in the sense of um, I have I have experienced I've seen so many people and people close to me that are eager to shift blame constantly and as an excuse for bad decisions. Um, And especially for, you know, what we might put in that category of higher sin decisions. Um, And the the result of that for me, um, I've learned over the years has been Um, My impatience, I can be extraordinarily patient with people who don't know the Lord. Um, I have a great amount of grace for their situations and their perspective. Um, And then when people claim the name of Christ, my patience with them really drops immensely. (laughs) Um, I think because I instinctively hold them to that justification Lisa that you're mentioning, I hold them to a different standard. I'm trying to hold them to a higher standard. If I don't care what your situation X Y and Z was when you were five, you're 25 so make a good adult decision as you walk with the Lord. Um, and if you need help in understanding what that is, then ask for help in understanding what that is. Um, and so I think I think for me that's that's a lot of what I try to, to justify in my reaction. Yeah, that's good.
1: Certainly. For me, it's it's comparison. So I'll often ask myself the question internally, didn't you see how much I sacrificed for the family? Didn't you see me serve <laughs> you five minutes ago? Okay, I, I expect that in return, instead of having the heart of just wanting to continue to serve and pour out. But at some point, you continue to pour out if you're not getting filled up. And I'll personalize it, if I'm not filling myself up, with the spirit i I oftentimes my flesh will flare up Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i will have that irritation
0: yeah i'm glad um diana that you mentioned pride in light of this because i it's funny as i walk through my own stuff here it it makes me realize how much we tend to take the things that aren't a struggle for us and then they become the greatest irritants you know, for us. So we're not going to shine a spotlight on the stuff that's really difficult for us and the stuff <laughs> that we're weak in or whatever. It's always like, why can't you do this? And why can't you do that? And I was thinking to myself, the two things for me are um, people who play the victim. So kind of the helpless people. And there's always some, you know, Diana, you alluded to this. There's always some drama swirling mm-hmm. around them because either they just can't get their stuff together or they something's happened and someone's got to rescue them. And I think that plays into me having to always be the one who was like pull myself up by my bootstraps and not mm-hmm. having someone to take care of me and whatever. And then the other one is, uh, Diana, you and I were talking about this as well, <laughs> people who... Um, make decisions or refuse to make decisions out of fear Mm -hmm. and because I so respect I mean find me a Christian who is living in faith and living fearlessly and whatever and I'm like I want to follow you it's just such a it for me it's just such a big thing to see people who trust God and are walking it out and so but then I just hone in on people when they're not and I'm just like oh my goodness where's your faith and what (laughs) you know and just you know and it's weird and um Which kind of brings me to my next question here, and that is, how do we do this differently? Because clearly, we can't just enable behaviors. I've been saying in each of these series, I I give it the small group litmus test, which is if any of us were sitting in a small group, no one's going to like, we're not going to share something and someone's going to be like, Oh, yeah, you know, you're a real sinner there. You're terrible. You know, no, they're going to put their arm around you. They're most likely going to give some kind of enabling words or behavior <laughs> in your direction of like, it's not that bad. It's not. But really, as believers, we want to go after this. And how do we do it rightly while still keeping grace at the forefront?
3: I really liked what um, Charles said about um, being filled with the Spirit, um, being intentional about walking with the Lord. Something that I have found for me personally um, in um, reacting better, responding better in those moments of impatience and irritability um, is to pray scripture. Um, and the fruit of the Spirit is actually part of that. Um, and the last kind of line in that passage says, against these things, there is no law. Um, and and I, I just love to, to dwell on that in the sense of, okay, Lord, yes, these are, these are the things that are good. When I'm impatient, when I'm irritable, that's when, you know, I might break the law because this person in front of me was driving so slow that I'm so impatient now, I'm going to get into the other lane and speed more <laughs> than I should, um, you know, maybe a little bit of a dramatic example, but, um, really for me, that's, that's what it comes back to is pouring myself into the Lord and using his word as kind of my check and balance when I don't necessarily have someone right next to me to say, Hey, that was inappropriate.
1: That's so good. Yeah. So for me it's making the decision before I even leave the house to be unoffended, to be non irritable, whatever that word is and so I played college football and our head coach one year, he brought in a motivational speaker and in my mind, I'm thinking, well, why why is the university paying you two and a half million dollars for you to bring in a motivational (laughs) speaker? But anyway, he would say to us not to decide is to decide. So even in those mornings when I do not make a decision prior to leaving the house, that's a decision Mm -hmm. in and of itself. And oftentimes that'll lead me down the wrong path. If I don't, intentionally make that choice before i leave the house
2: yeah that's awesome i think you know one of the big things for me is repenting i i see that i need to repent i need to repent to the person that i was short with it was just the other day i i was short with my wife i had gotten angry at something stupid and i had to come and tell her i was sorry i need to repent to the lord i need to come before him and and name that sin and recognize that i was irritable and it was wrong and I need to bring others into it as well. You know, I, I talk to friends every day and we talk about our marriages. We talk about our parenting and where we're falling short and where we're being irritable. Just it's, it's living, it's living in the light. And as I repent, I'm turning to the word, I'm turning to the spirit certainly to realize that despite my sin, even though I can be so irritable, Jesus loves me. Mm. And He calls me his darling child. And the more I dive into that reality, knowing that I have all this darkness, that I can be this irritable, that's when I feel freed, knowing that I'm loved, even in my sin because of Christ, I'm free to be a lot less irritable irritable and a lot more more patient Mm
0: -hmm. yeah that's good it just reminds me of with my list of 32 people and things uh there was (laughs) one that i knew it was a situation that i was going to have to address because it was an offense it was a, a there was a sin against me or whatever. So I had to full on Matthew 18, the situation. But then, and so first of all, that was a leap in and of itself because my family pattern, Steve, growing up was just passivity and or passive aggressive behaviors and or go tell the, you know, the 40 other people in your life about this person, but not the person directly. So had to do that. But then the biggest step was, okay, Lisa, you're done. You've said this, you are not responsible for their reaction. You're not responsible for their behavior moving here on out. You're not, you can't say, if I say this, you are now required to give me this in response or in return. And so I had to let it go. And so that was a big um a big learning for me in that sense of just being like, Yeah, this is out of my hands. And I cannot be Trying to elicit a response that I want and that I think is right by, you know, by saying certain things or making certain behaviors. And Mm -hmm. so I think for me, when I think of it in terms of also repenting of my own unbelief and my own pride um, is thinking to myself, what do I want to cultivate In response, which is kind of like the opposite. And I'm always trying to cultivate a generosity of spirit of what does it look like for me to lavishly be generous in my opinions of others in the situation in my view of this in not making snap judgments. And that always helps me kind of put a check as well. So well, you guys, this has been so great. I mean, oh, my goodness, we're already out of time. Um, so I want to just thank you guys for weighing in and sharing your own experiences. I'm sure everyone's going to relate on some level. So all of you listening, please uh, find us over on social and beyond and give us your thoughts of how you struggled here, because we'd love to hear and learn from each other. Thanks, you guys. Thanks, thanks for having Lisa. us. Yeah. thanks, Lisa. The first We are here for this week's culture segment, and we are welcoming back our friend Paul Angoni, who is kind of like a 20-something expert. Not that he's 20-something anymore, no, but he not lived even close Now, life as a 20-something and now uh, does a lot of speaking, writing, consulting uh, in this space. And uh, you know, if you heard him previously on the show, um, he's the author of 101 Secrets for Your 20s, 101 Questions You Need to Ask in Your 20s. And the one we're talking about today, which we were just talking about, like, Life in a pandemic, and how you know some stuff was kind of a bummer, but it was also kind of a luxury for him to be able to write and kind of focus on some other things that um, he wasn't able to before. And so, his latest project is titled 25 Lies 20 Somethings Need to Stop Believing. So, we're going to talk about lies today. <laughs> and the sub on this is how to get unstuck and own your defining decade. And so, I know many of you, as you've written in, you do feel stuck, you feel like even after this past year, you know, maybe you you were furloughed, Um, maybe you weren't able to go after debt like you wanted, maybe you really struggled uh, relationally or in isolation, or you had losses even in your own family as far as like grandparents uh, succumbing to COVID, and it's been just a hard year. And so we want to help you kind of pick up. And look up and kind of move forward, and so Paul, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks so much for having me on Lisa. It's an honor to be here. well, uh, this is gonna be fun for us. So the first thing kind of I want to go after you know, I mentioned the isolation that um quarantine and covid and all that brought, and I think you know it was really sad because last year here at boundless, we had um our intern Melissa, and she actually like we were talking about, you know, defining different generations and stuff. And she was like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess, what are we going to be? The mask generation? And I'm just like, (laughs) okay, please don't embrace that. That is so sad. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what to think about (laughs) that. But, um, you know, you even, you say here in the book how really um, millennials and Gen Z in particular tend to feel a sense of loneliness compared to older adults. And, you know, I don't know if it's just like, you get older and you're more accepting of things or if there's really a lot generationally that's going on what would be your your take on that cuz you would assume we're young we're yeah. all like out and about and having yeah. fun and stuff but it's not the case at all
4: it's not the case you know and that's one of those that's one of those lies that mm-hmm. really can mess people up in their 20s cuz it it feels like you should be living the time of your life having the most fun just living it up mm-hmm. you know but for most 20 somethings it's a struggle it's anxiety it's depression it's it's just slogging through it sometimes. Uh, Even in a good economy, let alone when economy slows down or let's say global pandemic hits, uh, it becomes even harder for that. So still the email that I get the most is I feel so alone. I feel like I'm the only one struggling. I feel like I'm the only one doubting Mm -hmm. myself. I feel like I'm the only one wrestling with this. Mm -hmm. And so that's why even in the book, one of the lies I talk about is I'm the only one struggling. Mm -hmm. Like that's a lie. And And we know that. I mean, I think we realize that, that there are other people going through this. Yeah. Um, But we have this kind of sense of, I got to put up this front, this pretend perfection. And I'm constantly telling 20-somethings, we connect more over our shared struggle than the pretend perfection. Yeah. But obviously social media is the big game changer as far as generationally what has changed the iphone everything in that sense so it is a weird paradox to be hyper connected instantly connected with anybody around the world and yet feeling very alone in that connectedness mm-hmm. so it it is a strange paradox that's that's hurting i, I think some of the mental um health mm-hmm. of our our young people and we're seeing the effects of you know, obviously anxiety depression suicide, you know, is going through the roof. And that's, it's a very scary statistic that I'm trying to get into. And it is an important thing to talk about for sure.
0: Well, and I feel like there's this feeling and, you know, we've talked about it here at Boundless. We, we hear from folks who say this, this idea, like there's this constant self-check of like, am I doing enough? Am I enough? Am I being enough? Am I where I should be at this point? And I'm like, man, you know, I feel like my twenties were just, and, and not that I didn't feel this angst, but I was just... I was kind of lame, like, <laughs> I mean, I did some cool things, but I also did some lame things, and it was really like trying to figure out my place, and yeah. I feel like there are a lot of people who are at 22, if they have not crafted this perfect plan for what they should yeah. be doing, like, why can't people, what's your take on why young adults can't just like work jobs and be faithful at their church and be like, we're we're all trying to be these outliers, and not everyone can be an outlier.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think... I think a lot of us grew up with big dreams, big goals, big pressure, Mm -hmm. uh, go to the right schools, get the right grades, get the right internship, climb the right steps. And I remember I was that same way and go make an impact and also go make a lot of money Mm -hmm. and probably get married to a great fan, you know, just all the things, all the things that we check off (laughs) that we have to do. And then we all realize at some point when we fall flat on our face, wow, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be, mm-hmm. and so there is that sense, and we call it a quarter-life crisis in some sense now. But that kind of recentering, where everything falls apart, all your plans go up in flames, and you kind of have to start from scratch. Maybe that means moving back with your parents, which uh, the highest percentage of twenty-somethings ever are doing. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of restarts for people. Yeah. But it is and that you line. and I both did that exactly. <laughs> exactly, exactly. had our seasons of parental living. Um, yeah. But there is that lie of I've missed my chance. Mm-hmm. And obviously that is a lie. And I even tell a story and I, I tell a lot of historical stories and other perspectives to just do perspective switches in the book. But I tell a story about this 20 something who he was a heavy metal rocker and they got a, a, an actually an album deal at like twenty three, twenty four. And their album cover is lim- literally him with long hair with, like, big hunks of dead meat. I mean, it's just, like, total heavy metal rocker. Like, we're so tough. We're so cool. So they put out this album, and it totally flops. Hmm. Just fails, bombs. So at 25, he basically felt like his life was over. Felt like he missed his chance. Hmm. And he even had, you know, more success than most 20-somethings have. Mm-hmm. But he felt like he blew it. So he, you know, he, it's terrible, and he tries to commit suicide hmm. a couple times. Hmm. He fails at committing suicide, thankfully. Hmm. And and so he moves to LA, uh starts playing piano again cuz that was his how he learned music in the first place in these dive bars in LA, feeling like he was a failure, feeling like he was in exile, feeling like that's it for me. And then he writes his first song called The Piano Man
3: mm-hmm. in
4: this dive bar mm-hmm. and uh and this musician is Billy Joel, mm-hmm. uh who's sold more albums now than Madonna, than Michael Jackson. I mean, one of the best most successful musicians but he was a failed heavy metal rocker yeah and that was an interesting all those stories are so intriguing to me um that we almost didn't know any of billy joel's music we Mm -hmm. almost didn't know who he was Mm -hmm. because he almost took himself out yeah um believing this lie that i've missed my chance when he was just starting he was on his path and he just had to refine it he had to get back to his true love of piano and that's probably why he why he failed as a heavy metal musician He wasn't supposed to be
0: that yeah Yeah. And I think, I mean, you alluded to the fact that we have this, we believe this lie that we're the only ones struggling and, you know, not that we want to paint this picture of like, so don't worry, you're just going to be like Billy Joel and you'll sell millions. millions." You know, the answer isn't always like make more money and become more famous. And I think that, you know, statistically, I was just reading, um, Uh, what is it, like the highest percentage of young adults, certainly within Gen Z, I think the the stat was there, that their number one aspiration is to be a media influencer. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, 15, maybe even 10 years ago, that did not even exist. Like people did not say, I want to be a YouTube star. I want to be a, okay, Justin Bieber did it. We understand, but it's just so bizarre. But you said to combat this idea of being the only struggler out there, community is so important and mm-hmm. i'd love for you to tell how you know you actually have gone after like a group of guys that you yeah. and it's not some big old like formal crazy thing where you're all like psychoanalyzing each other. Tell us about it.
4: Yeah. I talk about that in in my book about how important that is and almost how radical it Mm -hmm. is now. Mm -hmm. It really is to get in a room and that's what we do Wednesday mornings. I was just with them a couple days ago and uh, we get into a small room. It's maybe five, 10 of us. And we just talk about our day. We talk about our weeks, talk about what's going on. And it's just this safe space where we can trust each other. We can be open and honest Mm -hmm. and just share what's going on in our minds. You know, and in our last group, one of our older gentlemen, we have some older gentlemen, some younger gentlemen, and he was just describing a story where he was talking uh, to a 60-something in a similar type group, and the 60-something said, this is such a relief for me because uh, I've never had f- actual friends before. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is an uber-successful real estate mogul who's you know, made millions of dollars. Yeah. He's never had connection. He's never had friends. Okay. And to be in that circle, that safe circle of people that you can really talk to um, I mean, it's life changing. It's a breath of fresh air. It kind of gets us out of this social media space where we're interacting with most our friends on to have this real open, honest conversations. And, um, it's so important and it really is radical. It really is radical in this day and age, mm-hmm. uh, to be in person, but also to be that open and honest and vulnerable yeah. because everybody's social media reels that we're all putting out there are PR spends that we're putting on social media. It really blocks authentic conversation and communication. Right. Um, Because, again, it makes it feel like everybody's doing better than me. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to be the one to mention that I might feel like I'm completely failing and missing it. Uh, I'll have to play the game, too, along with everybody else.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's wild. We talked not too long ago here at Boundless about the kind of the phenomenon of like choice paralysis among young adults and this idea that now there are so many choices and you're worried that you're not making the right choice or if you make the wrong choice, you've lost out on all opportunities that could have led, you know, it's like that. You know, when I was growing up, we always called them, they were those choose your own adventure novels, you know, and you could pick your ending and then you freaked out if you picked the wrong one or whatever. We're now living that, I guess, people Um, talk to, you know, just allay some of the fears or talk to our audience about what that looks like. Like How can you move confidently into a choice, not, you know, using wisdom, but also trusting that it's not going to wreck your entire life based on where you go with it?
4: Yeah, you know, I've talked about before about, you know, finding your 77% sure, mm-hmm. like, I'm 77% <laughs> sure about mm-hmm. this, and I'm going to move forward. And it's- I prefer
0: check... to have a 79 at okay, least, you're, oh, it's you're okay. you're more of a
4: 79 Seven... person? Yeah. Okay. 77, <laughs> like see we'll see go, go with it. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, and it's, it's, it's checking some boxes, you know, because sometimes as you grow into becoming an adult, more of who you were made to be, sometimes it's about just checking things off the list, checking- Experience careers, people, you know all these things that is not right for you, and so you're you're moving forward and you 're checking things off the list as far as okay, does this align with my skill set? does this align with my values as a person? does this align with uh, what I believe is important, my faith, my purpose you know, and you start moving into that, and you start it starts pivoting and and you start uh, shifting and changing as far as your plans and I think so many of us it 's kind of like Uh, you know, I don't want to go on a first date with that person because I don't know if I can marry them or not. Mm -hmm. Well, sometimes you, you actually got to go on the first Mm -hmm. date to (laughs) Mm -hmm. figure that process. That's part of the process, you know, and you might, it might be 35 dates in where you can answer that question or not. And I think that's the same as far as our life and our career. It's, you know, what is the best next step? Yeah. And so in the new book, I talk about, you know, I think miracles favor forward movement. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard, I think, even for God to fling open that door for us if we're sitting in the wheelbarrow and saying, God, push me somewhere mm-hmm. and I'll be faithful. And I think God's standing there and saying, hey, um, actually, you got to get out of the wheelbarrow and you got to walk mm-hmm. and then uh, I'll help you open the doors and I'll help you close some doors, too. But you got to be moving forward into that. Yeah. And success or impact or whatever it is that we want, it doesn't just happen. Yeah. Um the YouTube star, the Instagram star, whatever, <laughs> even them, they're working hard. Yeah, And they, A lot of them have a team of people that are working really hard now. Uh, so it's not like they just fell into it and they were able to sustain it yeah. uh, without hard work. Even them are working hard. So um, I'll even make the metaphor that the magician, you know, if we actually go see a magician mm-hmm. in a room and they're amazing, uh, I make the argument in, the, in my newest book that they're actually the least magical person in the room. The Mm -hmm. magician, he or she is the least magical person in the room. What they are is probably the hardest working person in the room. Mm -hmm. They have perfected a craft so beautifully that it looks like magic that we can't even understand or see how they're making that happen. And I think that carries over to all kinds of leaders and speakers and artists of all kinds where it looks so effortlessly uh, done but it's actually 10, 20, 30 years of work mm-hmm. that went into making it look like magic.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think too, and I, I actually want to kind of um, piggyback onto talking about how, yeah, it's not always a linear pursuit either. And your your own story even indicates that when you decided you wanted to do something, you had to like make the concessions of like, you know, saying you wanted to be a writer. But I also want to make just the caveat on the front end of that before we get into that. Like, where have we gotten this idea even within the church within the Christian community, that success equals fame or wealth. I mean, I would say that by and large for Christians, there are just as many like leadership, success, you know, take ownership conferences out there Mm -hmm. as anyone else. Like how do we just rest in the idea that we can be, we don't have to chase. I mean, I understand that hustle is good and all this kind of, but we don't have to just constantly be chasing after the world's definition of success.
4: Yeah. You know, I think a, a big one for that is just, and I talk about this lie of I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that it falls into that, that mm-hmm. so much of our validation comes from these achievements. Mm-hmm. And we are in a very achievement culture. Uh, with parents that have achieved a lot, a lot of us. So I think that has fallen heavily on this generation to where, mm-hmm. again, if we're not achieving enough, um, then I'm a failure. Uh, and, and obviously then people with a faith perspective, uh, I talk about that lie in the sense of, well, you, you are enough in the sense of your value is enough uh, because in, you know, in my life it's found my value in my faith is found in Jesus and my identity is found in him and my relationship uh, with Jesus. So it, it that's where that value piece is coming from. So if I have a success or failure in what I deem it to be, well, I actually don't even know. And and actually, I don't even think the way we talk about success or failure, I think, is completely wrong mm-hmm. because success and failure really is should be viewed through the lens of eternity, mm-hmm. through this lens of this grand story that that God is orchestrating. Mm-hmm. And so what we deem, I think, and we can, even, we can see this at times, what we deem as a terrible failure s- sometimes leads to our greatest purpose later in life. Yeah. And then what we think is our greatest success in the moment mm-hmm. eh, amounts to nothing mm-hmm. later on, mm-hmm. uh, because we can't see it. So I, I'm always trying to remind myself and 20 somethings, and especially in this book, don't be so quick to, to rush that judgment of this was a success or this is a failure and don't tie your identity and your value and your worth, uh, to that. And again, in this social media age where if you don't feel like you have something really amazing to share, mm-hmm. you feel like almost you're like you're a nobody. And again, isolated, it really is a lie that we have to keep going after. Um, because you're right. It's not, it's not healthy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit um, kind of here in the last few minutes that we have a little of your own story. And that, and I know you've touched on this in the past of you making the decision to like, I kind of want to write some books. Yeah. And this, might, this is a scary thing. It's not, you're not, you know, this isn't like our grandparents who worked for a corporation and got their standard check and had all their benefits and their pensions. Yeah. And it's kind of putting yourself out there. And you didn't know when you first started this, that you were going to be published or you Mm -hmm. were gonna that's a hard you know hard thing to get
4: yeah my story is a long one if you've heard it before it's (laughs) it's it's a lot of failure uh it was my whole 20s basically of trying to get a book deal trying to write a book that uh for 20 somethings because i felt like this was such an important topic i was so passionate about it Mm -hmm. and then having a bunch of publishers come back and say uh sorry (laughs) we're not going to take a chance on a complete unknown Mm -hmm. like you And, uh, so I had so many do-overs and rejections and just living the full story of the struggling author. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I had other full-time jobs and, and marketing and, uh, and, and doing full-time work. I got married, had a kid, had another kid, time starts becoming more limited, but for me, um the writing piece and what i was doing was so important to me because i kept asking myself this question and i think it's an important question for everybody to ask of who would i not be who will i not be able to help if i give up now mm. and um because i knew i knew it was important mm-hmm. and it was something i could almost not not do so even after all the dreams of being a best selling author went away or all the Uh, I'm all the interviews with Conan O'Brien or whatever, (laughs) all all those, this, these visions of unrealistic expectations. I still wanted to write Mm -hmm. because I still felt like, man, I, this is still really important. This is still really important. So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't sexy. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I leave my job and I mean the whole story's long and I tell some of it in the new book and, yep. and leaving my job and becoming a full time successful author meant two kids, my wife and we're living with my in-laws. Mm-hmm. So now I'm 30 <laughs> uh, and I'm living with my in-laws. Mm-hmm. And I tell that whole story in the book when the lie of chasing your dream will look sexy.
0: Mm-hmm
4: it's not Mm -hmm. no and and people make it look like it is uh with their pictures of their laptop at the beach but in reality for most people that are doing it it, it's not um but i do think that sometimes the biggest risk we can take in our in our lives and especially in our 20s is not taking some of those risks yeah is letting fear call the shots Mm -hmm. um and i had a seth godin asked me this question who's a great author and somebody I look up to he 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 asked this question of what is fear holding you back from doing mm-hmm. is it worth it
2: mm-hmm. is it
4: worth letting fear hold you back mm-hmm. so go ahead and be afraid and step into it and let god meet you there mm-hmm. and i've seen god i mean believe me i am not a strategic business person i don't have this master plan i just kind of took a leap mm-hmm. after working 10 years with a full-time job trying to build it so i could make a leap yeah. and it was that that mix. yeah, And, and every year it's a, a redefining that to figure out, okay, what do I do now? How do I, how do I do good work now?
0: Yeah, that's good. Cause it's almost like evaluating, making sure that you don't have the cart before the horse in the sense of, you know, the absolute wrong motivation for writing a book is I'm going to get on Conan O'Brien yeah. and then you don't. And then it's like, why'd I write this book? You know, or people that will mm-hmm. say, well, okay, so I need to get you know, on the national TV circuit. So I want to write something, but so what do I have to say? Like, you know, it's like going about it the wrong way. But I like yeah. what you said about you still had things you wanted to say, even if they never, you know, made national TV yeah. or there was still value for other people who yeah. would read that. I yeah, that and I good. have
4: I have a lot of twenty somethings will ask me, and probably ask you too, of how do I find my passion? Yeah, like I really want to find my passion. Yeah, and I'll say it's pretty simple actually. Uh, fail miserably at something, mm-hmm. and then still want to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You You (laughs) found it. You found it, you know? And and then also a lot of times it comes out of some of our greatest pain and problems that we've had or that we've experienced. So like for me, I felt like such a failure in my 20s, such a huge problem, pain point for me. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to help others. And Mm -hmm. that's why I kept writing because I knew how intense and how hard and lonely it was for me. So again, we even look at our story and, and I think that's the redemptive part of our story. Yeah. That God loves redeeming those parts and he loves you being part of the source of that redemption in other people's lives because you're willing to go further than somebody else again because you you it's so real to you Mm -hmm. and it's not just about uh fame fortune you have these deeper reasons that you're compelled to it because it's tied to your story and who you are
0: yeah And I love that because this isn't just a a storyline for like creatives. I mean, this is like you can find your passion because you like seeing sick people get well and you're in healthcare. You like seeing people be organized. And so you are, you know, an admin assistant or you are, you know, along that vein or whatever. It's just something that like you're good at and you have the opportunity to do. And it's just something that kind of is like. Yeah, this is like my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great point. All right. Well, we, um, we're um we going to have to continue this next week because we have more lies to go after. Um, Things around, this just <laughs> cracked me up when I read this. I was like, oh my word, what 20-somethings are struggling with nostalgia? Hello, like weren't you just born yesterday? But we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about this need to be informed and feeling like we're so informed because of all the... um pots we have our fingers in, so are you willing to come back to continue oh, of course. the combo? Thank you. Okay, we'll do it. finishing out the show and uh, getting to open up our inbox where we answer a listener question and so uh, this week we're going to go ahead and do that we have got counselor yale kushner in the studio to answer this week's question hey yale hi awesome to have you good to be here okay i'm going to just read the question and then let you give a a fabulous (laughs) response to it so here we go Our listener says, I dated a man for three and a half years. I broke up with him after we spent yet another Christmas holiday apart, and he told me he didn't think he was ready for a serious girlfriend. He was very difficult to get over. About a year later, he texted me out of the blue, and we started dating again. I prayed and asked God to give me a sign if we should get back together, and I received that sign. We dated for another six months, during which time I saw both improvements in certain behaviors, but also regression in other areas. I eventually broke up with him again, and am pretty devastated. In trying to make sense of it all, I've prayed a lot, asking God why. I feel like he spoke to me and said, the reconciliation wasn't for you, it was for him. In all this, I'm wondering, when you think God is speaking to you, how can you be sure it's not your own will instead?
5: Lisa, that's a really good question, and I think there's a couple different ways I could go in answering it. One could be specifically to that situation with her and how much time and energy she put into a relationship that didn't work out even though she was trusting God, or the underlying question, which I think is being asked here, and that is, how do I discern what God really wants for me? Because she says she prayed about it, she got the sign of some sort that this was okay, but it ended up— Leading nowhere, And after three and a half, four or five years, here she is still single and disappointed. I think the question that really does need to be answered is that underlying one is, how do I know when I pray what God's will is for me, whether it's related to this relationship or related to which college I go to, which uh, employment do I work at? Um, I'm not a great supporter of formulas and formulaic type of things, but there is a sort of pattern that we can follow in discerning God's will. Number one, James chapter one, verse five says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of me and I will give it to them. So the primary thing that one does when they're trying to figure out, God, what do you want is that James passage on wisdom. God, give me the wisdom that I need to make the right choice. Secondly, is to read God's word, to be enmeshed within God and his word helps us have better thoughts of maybe his direction third is find godly spiritual people that you trust to share with and get feedback from and fourth is a step of faith once you've prayed for wisdom looked at god's word got good counsel from wise spiritual people then god wants you to act and step out in faith god has never said i didn't see that one coming he always (laughs) knows the path forward And so if you have to choose door A, B, or C and you've done those four things, whatever door that you choose, God is more interested in personal development and growth and maturity and trust in him than he really cares if it's door A, door B, or door C. Because he's on the other side of whatever door you choose. Mm -hmm. He knows the path forward. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think, too, I'm, you know, you said you're not a huge, uh, uh, you know, supporter in that sense of, you know, I'm not a huge supporter of like, oh, I need to get a sign or I need to, you know, mm-hmm. God gave me a sign. Because again, a lot of times those signs can be interpreted through our own feelings. Um, but I would say, you know, again, it's it's again that general principle of we can trust God with what, you know, what he has for us. And it's not, I don't think he's operating out of a scarcity mentality of, you know, if I don't give you this, or if I do give you this, it means I can't give you this, or I can't give someone else. So I like the fact that you just said that, like, yeah, it's, it's okay. And it doesn't mean that because you dated and broke up and dated and broke up, that this whole thing was for naught, or it wasn't God's will or whatever, you know, you won't know. Maybe for five years, 10 years, or into eternity. So I think that's a good point. So, but thanks, good principles uh, to start with. All right, folks, that is it for this week's show. Um, we do love it when you hop over and give us a review. If the advice, either in this inbox or maybe um, something we've shared in our roundtable or our culture segment with one of our fabulous guests, has been meaningful to you, so if you go over to Apple Podcasts and leave the Boundless Show a positive review, we would super appreciate it and love to hear from you. And that's a great way for other people to learn about the show as well. So we will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for the Boundless show
1: the Boundless show is a production of boundless.org focus on the family